You're listening to another life-transforming message from Awakened Church with campuses in San Diego and Salt Lake City. To find out more about us, go to awakenchurch.com. Hey, welcome to Awaken Church. We're so glad that you've tuned in. I know that you're going to absolutely love this message. It's a really, really powerful message on things that you'll find in the house of God. Things that you'll find in the house of God. Uh, I got saved, gosh, coming up 34 and a half years ago now on a beach and uh, had no, no intention of walking into the church walking into the house of God, I got saved. He picked me up on a beach. But I got to tell you, in the last 34 and a half years, the refuge, the shelter, the place of blessing, the place of growth, increase, advancement, uh, the transformation factor of my life has all been in the house of God. So come with me in your Bibles. I want to lead you in a beautiful story. 1 Samuel chapter 21 1 Samuel chapter 21, 1 Samuel chapter 21. It's a beautiful story. David is actually fleeing for his life, believe it or not. He's fleeing for his life. Saul again has kind of reneged on his uh, commitment not to kill David. He called the assassins off and now he's rehired them to go and hunt down David. David is a threat because David carries the anointing. David is a threat because he carries the anointing. This is a micro, this is a, a micro picture of the church. Saul represents human government and human government is threatened by, by godly leaders coming into government. And because David is the Lord's anointed, Samuel anointed him, Saul wants to not just extricate him, but Saul wants to eliminate him, exterminate him, remove him from, from the picture. He does not care that David is the anointed of God. Now his son, Jonathan, knows that David is anointed because he saw it on the battlefield when David took down Goliath. When he saw David, this 16-year-old kid, wander into a valley completely uh, unprotected with no armor on, that looked like he was going to his death. And when he came out the other side with the head of Goliath, Jonathan knew that is the Lord's anointed. That man is anointed to be king over Israel. And even though Jonathan, from a natural point of view, had the lineage to be the successor of Saul, Jonathan knew that the anointing was with David. The anointing wasn't with him. So Jonathan was trying to, to help that come to pass, but Saul was threatened by David's rise. And so the, the, the church has a battle in this world because we are the salt and the light of the world. The Bible says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. But the Bible says in Psalm 2 that the nations rage against the Lord and against His anointed ones. And they, they conspire. So the church is always going to be in conflict. If you're not in conflict with the world, you actually need to relook at your Christianity. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. In other words, I will build my church conflict. I will build my church warfare. I will build my church opposition and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So, so we just need to understand that we're going to be going against the, against the, the, the flow here. So here is, here is David. He, he goes down of all the places that he runs. Where do you run? 
when life is cruel, when life is unfair, when life seems like it's stacked up against you. David has done nothing wrong. He, he was just out there looking after the sheep like a good boy, gets called into the house, gets anointed by, by Samuel, the word of the Lord, comes out of Samuel's mouth that you're going to be the king over Israel, that God has searched for a man after his own heart. David then goes down to the battlefield, sees, sees there's a problem called Goliath, takes care of the problem while he's feeding his brothers um, bread and cheese and bringing bread and cheese to the commander and a few skins of wine. And, and then Saul hires him to come and play music because he's kind of distressed. He's not sleeping. The anxieties of, of the weight that he's carrying is overwhelming. So David goes and ministers to him on his heart. David's done everything right, which tells me that you can be doing everything right and yet still be the victim of persecution. But what do you do? David does not run to, to uh, negativity. He doesn't run to revenge. He doesn't run to vengeance. He doesn't form a victim's club. David does this. Let's have a look in 1 Samuel 21 verse 1. It says, Now David came to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest. Nov is part of Jerusalem and Ahimelech is in the temple. And Ahimelech was afraid when he met David and said, why are you alone and no one was with you? So David said to Ahimelech, the king has ordered me on some business and said to me, do not let anyone know anything about the business on which I send you or what I have commanded you. And I've directed my young men to search uh, to such and such a place. Now, therefore, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread in my hand or whatever can be found. The priest answered David and said, there is no common bread on hand, but there is the holy bread. If the young men have at least kept themselves from women, then David answered the priest and said, truly women have been kept from us for about three days. That's a long time <laughs> since I came out. And the vessels of the young men are holy and the bread is in effect common even though it was consecrated in the vessel this day. So the priest gave him holy bread, for there was no bread there but the showbread, which had been taken from before the Lord in order to put the hot bread in its place on the day when it was taken away. Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day detained before the Lord. His name was Doeg, and you can actually retranslate his name to Dog because he ends up being that. He's an Edomite, which is from the lineage of Saul the chief of the herdsmen who belonged to Saul. And David said to Ahimelech, is there not here on hand a spear or a sword? So David is literally fleeing for his life. He's fleeing from Saul. It almost looks like David is cornered. His life's about to be snuffed out. He's, he's weary. He's wore out. He's hungry. He has no resources. But he comes to Ahimelech the priest who's in the house of God in Nov. And the Bible says, he asks, is there, is there any weaponry here? Is there a sword or a spear? And for I've brought neither sword nor spear nor weapons with me because the king's business required haste. So the priest said, the sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, there it is, wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you will, take that, take it. For there is none other except that one here. So David said, there is none like it give it to me. And then David arose and fled that day from Saul. Today, I want to talk to you about the things that you will find in the house of God, the things that you will find in the house of God. The first thing that you'll find in the house of God is refuge. The first thing you will find in the house of God is a place 
of refuge. Let me read to you Psalm 84. Psalm 84 is one of my favorite Psalms. Psalm 84 goes like this. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my, my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young, a place near your altar. Lord Almighty, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. They pass through the valley of Bacha. Bacha means tears. They pass through the valley of tears, of difficult moments, but they turn it into a spring. They make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayer, O Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, O God of Jacob. Look on our shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. Better is one day in your courts, verse 10, than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk in his blameless or walk in his ways. And then it keeps going on. I just love that psalm because that's, that's my testimony. When I got saved, when I came into the house of God, I came in broken. Now I was saved, I was going to heaven. I was born again, I was going to heaven. But, but I thank God that, that, that church accepts us as we are. It accepts us as we come in. There's, there's a bit of a move right now because of, I think there's been an overemphasis or a, a uh, out of balance preaching of grace. Out of balance preaching of grace. In the sense that, uh, that, that if God accepts you, as you are, then, then he also is approving of you. No, no, no. When I, when I came to the house of God, God accepted me. He loved me with all my faults. He loved me with all my sin. He loved me with all my dysfunctions, all my hang-ups, all my issues, all my iniquity, all my... He loved me and he embraced me and he accepted me. However, he loved me too much to leave me that way. He loved me too much to leave me that way because the Bible says he who sows iniquity will reap trouble or will reap sorrow in the book of Proverbs. So God loves me enough to accept me in my sin, accept me in my brokenness, accept me in my dysfunction, accept me in my warts and all. He will accept you, but don't confuse acceptance for approval. So even though he accepted me in my sin, he was not validating my sin. He wasn't saying, hey, it's okay for you to continue to think like this, believe like this, act like this, behave like this. He loved me enough to accept me. Even though I was accepted, there was not an approval for What I found was I began to collide with the Word of God, but I found the Holy Spirit was so gentle. He would always lead me to the truth, and then I would have to make an assessment, and I would see that my life, my beliefs, systems, my actions, my behavior were inconsistent, were incongruent with the Word of God. And I always came to a crossroads. You will find in the house of God, you will come to many, many crossroads. And in those crossroads, you will always have a choice. And I want to testify to you today that if you will choose God, people say that integrity is siding with God's Word against yourself. Integrity is choosing God's Word against yourself. That's integrity. 
And if you will find that if you will align yourself with the Word of God, you will find the transformative power of God's Word is released in your life so that you will begin to flourish. I found that there is comfort in the house of God, but there's also transformation. We, we can't just be content to comfort people. We have an assignment to make disciples. We have an assignment to release the power of the gospel, which is a transformed life. The Bible says, be not conformed to the patterns of this world, but by the, rather be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove that your life would prove, that your life would be living evidence. In a court of law, Your Honor, may I present to you exhibit A, undeniable proof that God's will is perfect, is acceptable, and is good. This person made decisions that they weren't going to be conformed to the patterns of this world. Rather, they were going to be transformed by renewing their mind on the promises of God, on the Word of God. Let me just tell you, every generation, God has promises. And what God is looking for is people who will believe the promises of God. God shoots out His promises. And His promises are available. His promises are, are, are not, are not to, to one people group. His Promises are to every ethnicity, every background, every race, every culture, every His promises are to everyone. God, what God is looking for is not a Caucasian. What God is looking for is not a German. What God is looking for is not an Australian or a New Zealander. What God is looking for is a believer. And let me tell you, when you begin to believe in the promises of God, His power will flow to your life. It doesn't matter your height, doesn't matter your weight, doesn't matter your gender, doesn't matter your background, doesn't matter your past. If you will begin to believe God, you will find the transformative power of God, the blessing of God will begin to flow into your life. I want Walked into the house of God. My God, I was so, so broken. But I came into the house of God with, with massive father rejection and all kinds of issues and all kinds of anger and bitterness and hostility and, and self-doubt. And, and, and I couldn't see and I couldn't dream. But I found that there was a correlation because I, I made a decision that in the house of God, I found refuge. I found comfort for my brokenness. I, I found in the house of God that it was a place where, where I could come and I, I could just be me. I found in the house of God that I could come into the house of God and that I could find healing. And I remember so many times just singing in the worship and just, just finding the healing balm of God going through. And, and it began to pierce. It began to crack. Almost like the, this, 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 this wall that was over my life, this, this limitation where the devil thought, yeah, he's so jacked up. He's so messed up. There's no way he'll even lift his head to see and believe. But as I began to worship, it was like cracks began to form in the ceiling and light began to come through and hope began to come through and faith began to come through. I remember sitting in church, it was in the house of God and, and they had a, a young guy who was one of their... Um, Bible college students had just gone off to Bible college and so they gave him the Sunday night platform and he preached and, and he, he did a pretty good job. And, and, and I remember the, the pastor got up afterwards and said, you know, the, the great future of, of our church and the great future of the church in Australia is in great hands because a young man like this, what a great preacher he is. And something on the inside of me said, man, I, I want to be a preacher. Well, the associate pastor came over and I'm just sitting on my seat and the associate pastor came over and he says, hey, Jürgen, you know, how you doing? I said, oh, you know, yeah, okay. And he says, what's going on? I said, well, I said, this is going to sound crazy. I said, but I don't know, like, I, I feel like maybe I'm meant to be a preacher. And I, and I kind of threw, threw it out there expecting 
him to say, oh, don't be stupid. Look at your, look at your past, look at your background. You've got, you got no Christianity. That you, I, I was waiting for him to, to, give me all, to validate all the, the, the negative reasons that the devil had. He had a whole checklist of disqualifications, but instead the associate pastor puts his hand on my shoulder, says, Yerkes, you're going to be a preacher. You're going to be a great preacher. It's like something went up. I was in the house of God that I met my beautiful bride. It was in the house of God that the calling of God came. It was in the house of God there was a refuge. Now, let me just say this. The house of God is a refuge. The, the first refuge, the first battle for you to understand in the house of God that it's, it's a place of rest. The Bible says in, in the book of Hebrews that there, there remains a rest for us as saints. What is the rest? Uh, when Jesus was on the cross, the last three words that came out of his mouth was, it is finished. It is finished. And then he hung his head and then the curtain was torn. When Jesus said, it is finished, if you go to the Hamilton production, it'll say the end or when it is finished, it is finished. It means the, the performance is over. The devil wants you to believe that your Christianity, that your favor with God, that your love of God, or even the promises of God towards you are determined by your performance. On the days where you're really holy, on the days where you're doing really well, on the days where you're, well, then the promises are flowing towards you. But on the days where you've, on the days where, that are dark, on the days that are, on the days that you'll struggle, those promises are taken away. Jesus on the cross was the one who performed on your behalf and on my behalf. The reason he did that is because it's impossible for you and me to fulfill the law. So he came clothed in flesh, clothed in humanity, and completely fulfilled the law of God, all of its requirements, and then hung on the cross and was still fulfilling the law on the cross. While the people that crucified him, put the nails through his wrist, were gambling for his garments, he says, Father, forgive. He wouldn't even let offense come into his heart. He was still fulfilling the legal requirements of God right up unto his last breath. That's how you know he's the son of God. But on that cross, he said, it is finished. If you are in Christ, Jesus did all the performing. Jesus did all the performing. You can walk in the blessings of God and in the favor of God, it is a refuge. So we come in comforted, but understand that God doesn't just comfort, he transforms. He doesn't just comfort, he transforms. The second thing that you'll find in the house of God is bread. The second thing you'll find in the house of God, there is bread. And what's interesting about this passage of scripture is that um, the, the bread was the showbread for the priest. This was only for the priest to eat. I thought, huh, that's, that's interesting because the priests were the only ones and yet David ate them. Years later, Jesus, when uh, the disciples are walking through the fields of grain and they begin to rub some of the grain in their hands and eat it. The Pharisees, the religious people come and they say, hey, why are your disciples doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And she says, have you never read how David went into the, the temple and he ate the bread that was only meant to be eaten by priests? He says, the Sabbath was created for man, not man for the Sabbath. It's amazing. I've actually found that that We've got to be very, very careful how we distribute the bread, how we distribute the word. The bread and the word always goes together. The bread and the word. Jesus says, I am the word of life. I am the bread of heaven. 
In fact, in John 6, 35, it says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never go thirsty. I found that when I came into the house of God, there was bread. But you, will under, you need to understand, though, that the, the, that bread could have been withheld from David, withheld from him because he was hungry, because religion always disqualifies. If, the, if Ahimelech chose to go the religious route, he can say, hey, now this is the bread for priests and you're not a priest, therefore I'm going to... It's amazing how religion disqualifies and leaves people hungry. Religion always disqualifies and leaves people hungry. We have found that God wants you to take from the bread. That God has made you and I, He calls us holy and that there is food and the food is, is, is the Word of God rightly divided. When I read the Word of God, I don't see, I don't see in the Word of God that the Word is intended to show me all my disqualifications, but rather it absolutely reveals all of my faults, but it reveals the promises of God and the life of God. If I will make some adjustments, if I'll make some alignments with the Word of God, the life of the Word of God will flow. It's interesting that, that uh, David in Psalm 119 says that your laws are laws of life. They are laws of life. When I came into the house of God, I began to find that God says, you've got to forgive your father. I didn't want to forgive him. Number one, he wasn't asking. Number two, he wasn't deserving. But God began to show me that you're going to be tormented. And he showed me in the book of Mark where Jesus says that if you will not forgive, then you'll be handed over the tor- to the tormentors. And he says, that's you, Jürgen. And was holding up a mirror. It wasn't there to condemn me. It wasn't there to disqualify me and say, now get out of my sight, you. It, it was there to show me that I was the one that was blocking the flow of life. That if I could step up, if I could let go of the pain and the grief and, and, and the abuse, if I, if I could let go of the rege- if I could let go of the bitterness, if I could let go of the vengeance in my heart, and receive His promise, come into alignment with His promise, then the life-transforming power of God. I've got to tell you, I love the Word of God because I found that there's no bread like it. There's no bread like it. There's, there's no word like it. Uh, in generosity, the generous soul shall prosper. I remember when I learned to tithe, it was amazing. From the moment we learned tithing, God's hand supernaturally has come over our lives and we've seen our lives just go from strength to strength, from glory to glory, from blessing to blessing. And I know without any shadow of doubt, if you look back 34 years ago when I began tithing, I know exactly what happened, that there was, there was somebody in my world now, a supernatural power, an extraterrestrial force rebuking the devourer and blessing coming, blessing flowing over my life that there's so much blessing, there's not room enough to contain it and supernatural protect the blessing of God, the provision of God. I, I love Proverbs 25, 21, 22. It says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him water. If he is you know, uh, cold, clothe him. For in so doing, you will heap hot coals on his head. We went through a season where, where I wasn't expecting this, just out of the blind side, I wasn't expecting that there would be people in the church possessed with a Jezebel spirit that would go out of their way to be nasty. They would go out of their ways to be like satanically evil towards my bride and myself. And I remember just, just saying to God, this is wrong. This is unjust. This is God remove them. Surely God's going to remove them. But I actually found that God leaves those people in place because His Word overcomes everything. 
And I found God say, I'm watching you to see how you will respond when injustice happens. I'm watching to see how you respond when this kind of cruelty, this kind of uh, persecution, this, this kind of unfairness comes towards you. And then I'm reading this in Proverbs. And so I made a decision that the person who was nasty to us, I would go out of my way to be nice to them. I love that dress. What a beautiful dress. Oh my gosh. Did you get your hair done? You look so beautiful. And you could see them seething. They were like seething. And I'm like, "Uh uh-huh. The seething is symbolic of hot coals on your head. You can see them literally like they were just like a kettle boiling. And it was, a, it was so liberating. And the nastier they were, the kinder I was back. And you know, here's the most amazing thing. They did so many nasty things. Paul writes about Alexander the blacksmith has done me much harm. He says, but the Lord will take care of it. No, no bitterness, no resentment. Do you know what it's like to live bitterness free? To what it's like to live anger and hate free? The world is jacked up because they don't know how to live anger-free, hate-free, vengeance-free. They, they don't know. If they would come to Christ, they would find that God, there's a power. Do good. That's why Jesus says, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. In so doing, your poor heart. And the last one, number three, I know we're out of time, but last one, number three, is David finds a sword. David finds a sword. And it's not just any sword, it's the sword of Goliath. Ephesians 6.17 says, and above all, taking up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Taking up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I I thought it was interesting that, that in the house of God, in the house of God, Ahimelech says there's no weapon here except, isn't it interesting, except, it's like God is trying to tell you something. It's like God is trying to show you. God hides things. Proverbs 25 verse 2 says, It is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but it is the glory of kings to search it out. If you want to know what it is to be a king, search out the things that God has hidden. He hasn't hidden them from you. He hasn't concealed them from you. He's concealed them for you. He has hidden them for you. So, so, So David knows, hey, is there a sword or a spear? Is there any way I can defend myself against the forces arrayed, against the assassins that have been hired? Do you, do you have any weaponry here in the house of God? And Ahimelech says there is no sword, there is no spear except the sword of Goliath. There it is, preserved and wrapped in a cloth. In other words, this is what I discovered. When I came into the house of God, I didn't just find refuge. I didn't just find the bread of life so I'm not hungry again. I don't have to chase the philosophers. I don't have to chase the world. I don't live empty, but I live fulfilled. I live satisfied on the Word of God. But I also found that it didn't just comfort me with refuge. It didn't just resource me with the Word. It actually also empowered me. It also, it's also equipped me for battle to take ground so I can stand against the enemy. I can stand for my marriage. I can stand for my family. 
family, I can stand for my kids, I can stand for my city, I can actually go to battle knowing that there's some weaponry. But what was the weaponry? The weaponry that David had, the weaponry that David had was the sword of Goliath. In other words, in the house of God, it will teach you to overcome. Whatever you overcome, the prize of you overcoming is you have that weapon. John Heinrichs came into this house with a healing. He was on, on, on his deathbed. The, the, the doctors were asking, do you have life insurance? Do you, because we're not sure your internal organs are shutting down. Power of God hits him. He walks out of there healed. And now he has the sword of Goliath because of what you overcome. You will find the devil doesn't want you to understand that the house of God is a place of power. That's why we got to comfort people as they come in, but love them too much to leave them that way. Because whatever you overcome, there is a sword. There is a weapon that God wants to give you. Whatever you overcome, you now have authority over you. That's why the book of Revelation says, now to him, <coughs> excuse me, to him who overcomes, I will give. To him who overcomes, I will give. To him who overcomes, seven letters, seven churches, they all finish with, to him who overcomes. You are an overcomer in Christ Jesus. You are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. The devil wants to pacify you with weak, pathetic Christianity, this, this lie of Christianity that it's all about grace and we're just meant to suffer and just eke our way out and, you know, pray that Jesus splits the sky real soon. No, no, no. The Bible says that you're more than a conqueror. In this house, we're going to challenge you. We're going to press on things. We're going to push on things. We'll tell you the truth. Now, listen, if you don't like the truth, there are cheaper churches to go to in San Diego. And we'll love you when you come back, when you realize they just pacify my dysfunction. We'll still love you. We don't... But God loves you too much to leave you where you are. Whatever you overcome, I will give. To him who overcomes, I will give. To, we want to create overcomers. We want you to have a sword. And it's not just any sword. It's the sword of the thing that took down your Goliath. It's that, it was the battle with Goliath that elevated David to the place in the kingdom. He was a giant slayer. We're going to raise up giant slayers. We're going to raise up warrior men and warrior women. There is a sword that God has for you. Can somebody say amen? Amen. Oh man, I'm out of time. I'm out of time. In the house of God, refuge. He, he, he comforts you, absolutely. He accepts you. But never confuse acceptance with approval. He accepted me. Man, when I came into the house of God, I was a fornicator. But every time I would leave church, I would feel guilty. And I didn't know why I felt guilty. It was the Holy Spirit. And, and because I didn't grow up in church, I'm like, man. You know what it is to be a Christian? It's like I'd almost completely killed my conscience. My conscience was on life support. And then literally when I got saved, it was like... My conscience came back to life again. I'm like, whoa. And he's arguing with me the whole time. What you're doing is wrong. I'm like, shut up, la, la, la. I don't want to... He accepted me, but acceptance was an approval. He loves you as you are but He loves you too much to leave. That's a word for our generation. He loves you as you are, but He loves you too much to leave you that way. If you will let go and if you will lay hold of what God has for you, get a hold of the bread, not religion. Religion would have left David hungry, but it was life. We, that's why you will find here we preach. A lot of religious people don't like us. I don't believe him down at that, that awakened church. Like, you know, they, they, they drink wine. That's evil. 
even though it was Jesus' first miracle, but it was, it was great juice. It wasn't, you know, and it's just like, oh, dear God. And you're a Christian and your Christianity is defined by the things you don't do. Religion. Religion is always about excluding. Well, you know, we don't, we don't let men have long hair because the Bible says... <laughs> we don't drink and we don't chew and we don't date the girls that do. And... I mean, there's all kinds of just nonsense out there. Listen, listen, life is too short for me to take the beautiful Bible and remind you every Sunday on how you're disqualified on how the Bible eliminates any hope of the promises of God. You know what I found, honestly? I found that God has walked with me with my dysfunctions from day one. Yeah. Not, not once, not once has He discarded me. Yeah. Not once has He abandoned me. When He said, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age, I need you to understand, I've given Him a million and one reasons that He could legitimately in a court of law say, and Lord, even though I said that, this is the reason why we parted ways and the gavel would come down absolutely ruling in cheek, but He never left me. He never left me in my darkest times. He never left me in my wicked times. He never left me in my ungodly times. He never left me in my sinful times. He walked with me all the way through and as we walked together, and I began to see His promises and began to see His Word coming into my life, I got to tell you, it was so easy to let go of that because I saw that that sin that was so important only brought death. It only brought sorrow. It only brought grief. It stole my conscience. It stole my passion. It stole my, my righteousness. It stole, and, why, and God's walking with you. The bread of life and then the sword of the Spirit. Amen. Father, I just thank you for this Word. And I'm praying that if there are people watching today, Go to awakenchurch.com forward slash Jesus. I'm telling you, there is no life like Christ. He loves you as you are, but He loves you too much to leave you that way. Come to Christ. Let Him tra transform your life. I promise you, I know that I'm not the same person that, that He met 34 years ago. Each of us have been predestined to become like Jesus, but you and I set the pace. You and I determine the speed at which that happens. If you want to accelerate your life, let go of you and lay hold of Him. Let go of your opinions and lay hold of the Word of God. If you side with the Word of God, embrace the Word of God, devour the bread of heaven that came down, you will find your life will accelerate and your life will look like Christ. We want to help you to do that. But Father, I thank you for these beautiful people today. Lord, I ask that you would draw near to each and every one. Father, that we would love your house. Like David wrote in, in Psalm 84, that I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. How lovely is your pl dwelling place, O oh God. How beautiful. Even the sparrow has found a home there, a swallow where she may lay her young. Father, I thank you, Lord God, that your house, and we have the privilege of building your house, not just here in San Diego, but in Salt Lake City and right around the world. Thank you for that privilege. Thank you for that honor. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. Come on, let's give the Lord a great hand. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenedchurch.com.